William Buckingham is head of the curriculum committee for the Dover School District. He's also a board member. He strongly believes creationism needs to be taught in the classroom. My opinion that the uh, it's okay to teach Darwin, but you have to balance it with something else. If we're in a science classroom, which biology is, you should teach science. And the theory of evolution is scientific, and it, there's proof of it, and creation is based solely on faith. Welcome to a Penn Arts and Sciences special presentation marking the 10th anniversary of Kitzmiller versus Dover Area School District, the trial that set the stage for a national debate on the constitutionality of teaching intelligent design as an alternative to evolution. In 2005, Michael Weisberg, professor of philosophy and chair of the philosophy department, and Paul Snigowski, professor of biology, co-authored a letter on behalf of their departments in support of the teachers. Professor Snigowski reads a portion of the letter. 5 January 2005, an open letter to the Dover Area School Board. As scientists, scholars, and teachers, we are compelled to point out that the quality of science education in your schools has been seriously compromised by the decision to mandate the teaching of, quote, intelligent design along with evolution. Science education should be based on ideas that are well supported by evidence. Intelligent design does not meet this criterion. It is a form of creationism propped up by a biased and selective view of the evidence. We spoke with Michael Weisberg and Paul Snigowski about their motivation for supporting the teachers. This hit the news, and it was sort of well covered, and I think the New York Times covered things like that. Less well known was right from the beginning, the teachers, the biology teachers said, we will not do this, even though it was a directive from the school district. And so I said to my friend Paul Snigowski in biology, I don't know what we can do to help these teachers, but we should try to think of something. You know, Michael's the one who approached me about it and said, you know, Penn ought to write a letter. So then we worked on this letter together. This was before social media, but there was a sort of almost a proto-social media effect that happened here because we got a draft done, not the final draft, and we sent it to our faculties, philosophy and biology, saying, please read, uh, see if you're willing to sign it, and, and if you'd like to make any suggested changes, let us know. And, and I'm pretty sure in that email we also said, it's a draft, please don't forward. That thing got to the ACLU somehow that afternoon <laughs> before it was finalized. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, the, the, the time was really ripe for people to be saying things and for people who ought to know about these things to be saying things. The lead counsel for the plaintiffs, Penn Law graduate Eric Rothschild, describes his legal strategy for the case. So... There was a lot of evidence brought in through experts about the religious nature of the proposition. And then the other part of that, convincing Judge Jones that this was not a proposition that belonged in public schools, was to completely debunk the idea that it was a valid scientific proposition. Because even if you have school board members whose motivation is not good science education, but rather religion, if the judge had been convinced that there was a legitimate scientific argument, well, we should let uh, dissenting scientific views in the classroom, or certainly there should be no constitutional prohibition against it. So it was a big part of what we did was to completely, not this is bad science or, or new science, but it's not science at all. 
a lot of resistance of our public to ideas like evolution, ideas like climate change, that the efficacy of vaccines and so forth come as much from misunderstanding how science works and the nature of scientific methods as they do from the content of science, the actual scientific facts and theories. So a theme in my work is actually trying to both work on those questions of method, but also think about how to talk to the public about this. We have some data that shows a high correlation between acceptance of evolution and uh, understanding these questions about how science works. And uh, one thing that my field has not been great at doing is figuring out how to talk to the public about this. The scientific community has made great strides in communication of the content of their theories, the discoveries that they make, but still the idea of how science works and how much it can be difficult, how long it takes, how one has to accumulate evidence, how we can have false starts, those sorts of things, hard to convey. They don't make great copy, they're not that sexy, but it is, like every other human endeavor, how it works. What was real, most important was what was the scope of the decision going to be because he could have taken a narrow, narrow approach that kind of focused on the board members' obvious religious purpose and their dishonesty about that and not necessarily have given full treatment to all the scientific evidence that had been presented on both sides. So when we actually read the decision, you know, it was literally everything we'd work for. Everybody understood that intelligent design was a religious proposition, and we are absolutely thrilled Joining that Judge Jones has seen through the smoke and mirrors used by design proponents and has ruled that intelligent design is not science, but is in fact a particular religious view. The Honorable Judge John E. Jones spoke to us about his decision. I think what the case pivoted on ultimately was the fact that the plaintiffs were right, uh, as I found uh, this policy that this, this policy that was considered by uh, the uh, Dover School Board and ultimately adopted was in fact in violation of the Establishment Clause. It was uh, nothing more than the progeny of creationism, creation science, and so forth relabeled. I, I likely will be known for making that decision good, bad, or indifferent. And I'm entirely comfortable with that. And it was very counterintuitive to a lot of people that a uh, an individual who was a Republican and who had been uh, appointed to the bench by George W. Bush would decide the case in this fashion. And it, it uh, gave rise, in my mind, to believe that people probably needed a little bit of uh, an education on the way the judiciary works, which uh, may not be uh, in accord with the way they think. Judge Jones could have ruled in two ways, and you, you may have discussed this with him even, he could have ruled narrowly. He could have said that um, the actions of the school board violated the establishment clause of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, uh, narrowly. Or he could have said they violate the establishment clause, and furthermore, intelligent design is not really science. And the latter is what he did. He ruled broadly. And it's a masterful ruling. I, I give it to my freshman seminar on evolution, and I have them read it. Michael Weisberg says more research is needed in order to understand public attitudes on evolution. The classic explanation for why people don't accept evolution is they don't understand it very well. And the problem with this explanation is that the people that do accept evolution don't understand it very well either. So, in fact, except understanding of evolution is really close to zero. And so it may be that 
understanding more leads to better acceptance, but it's just very hard to find this signal. So this is something we're actually working on right now is developing an understanding scale that can actually find whatever variation is actually out there so that we could start to see if there's a correlation between acceptance and understanding. Another possibility is the sort of the elephant in the room for a lot of people, which is the connection between not accepting evolution and religion. But again, there's huge range here. So you certainly have some churches like Church of Christ, Southern Baptists, who it's it's sort of in their primary principles to be young earth creationists, biblical literalists, but that's a fairly small fraction of the vast number of religious people in this country. And it certainly doesn't come anywhere near the 40% that show up in this Gallup poll. And further, even if this is, it's clearly part of the story and one of the, it's gotta be part of the reason that the US is different than other countries. If on the other hand, you, all your exposure to science is learning from textbooks in junior high and high school, where science is presented as a sort of closed series of facts, then as soon as you hear, well, this data point was wrong, or they had to revise the information from this climate station, or we thought that this fossil was uh, this kind of dinosaur, but it was that kind of dinosaur, or we changed our mind yet again, you're going to think, what's going on here? It must just be some kind of a political ideological battle. Well, I'll just pick my side. You know, I think that we have evidence that something like that's happening. We'd like to have more of that. What would be really great is if appreciating the nature of science to a greater extent could actually insulate people from some of this. This has been a Penn Arts and Sciences special presentation. We would like to thank Michael Weisberg, Paul Snigowski, Eric Rothschild, and Judge John E. Jones III.